Continuing on the book in the book of Colossians, if you're new, uh, this is a this is sermon number 18 in the series. So we've been we've been at this for a while. This is, it's only a four chapter book. Uh, so good thing we didn't pick like Isaiah or something. But uh, uh, <laughs> we'd be in it for a while. But uh, uh, we're we're kind of tidying things up, kind of trying to finish up. But the last paragraph of, of content before we kind of head into uh, some some closing thoughts next week uh, is just loaded with with content and there's this one little line about mystery uh, that I, I want to reflect on this this morning. So uh, uh, I'm a I think on September 1st that will be uh, three years as your pastor. So uh, so three years ago you hired me and uh, in, in a lot of ways what you hired me to do was theology. You hired me to do theology. Theology uh, literally means the word about God, all right? the theologos, the, the word about God. So what theologians are trying to do is to put together some words that somehow capture the essence of who God is. What, what's God like? What does he do? Uh, who is this God? And how do we kind of articulate that? through some use of, of language. And I think pastors do this to some extent as well in, in a few different ways. Preaching, of course. I, I get up here every week and I try to put together some words that kind of capture who God is and what God is up to and what that means for us. Uh, but I think, I think pastoral care is theology as well. Uh, I think sitting in the Fleming's uh, hospital room last night and, and in the midst of all that life throws at us trying to put together some words that kind of capture what God is up to in that moment. I think that's, I think that's, has a theological, uh, uh, there's theology involved there as well. Uh, but essentially, uh, what I'm doing here is, is theology. But let's, let's think about that task, uh, a little bit further, this theological task. Let's, let's think about it a little bit deeper than that. Think, Think about what you hired me to do three years ago. Uh, I'm 35 now. I was 32 years old at the time. I'd never been a senior pastor before. I'd probably preached uh, about 20 sermons in my whole life. I, I had a couple theology degrees, but I was very green. Let, let's admit it. Uh, I, was, I was very raw. And for some reason, you foolish folks plopped me into your pulpit and asked me to explain God to you each week. What were you thinking? Why did you do that? That makes no sense. Uh, how, what do I have to say about God? I have no idea. Uh, or, or even, let, let's say we're talking about an actual theologian or an actual biblical scholar. Somebody who, they're well-read, uh, they're, they're well-studied, uh, degree upon degree upon degree behind their name. They've got a lifetime devoted to the theological task, to understanding the Bible and what God is trying to say in it. Even think about that person. We're expecting, we're asking that person, a trained professional theologian, to construct some definitive and exhaustive words about God. The, the God of the universe who knit this whole thing together and holds all of creation in the palm of his hands, the God who people have been arguing about and trying to understand and failing to come to any clear consensus about for thousands of years, even as a trained, seasoned professional, 
they couldn't possibly encapsulate the depth and breadth of who God is and what God is like and how God acts. They just can't do it. And yet, you've hired me to in some ways do that, to step up here each week and give you the definitive word about God, no way, can't be done, not possible. Uh, Which is why the writers of Scripture, including the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians here, talk about the mystery of God, the mystery of Jesus. And Paul calls us this morning in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, to proclaim the mystery of of Christ, uh, because it's a mystery. It, it can't be talked about uh, in complete sentences. It can't be articulated fully. And so if we want to talk about who God is, we're left to try to articulate the mystery. We're, we're left to try to proclaim the mystery. We have to admit that it is mysterious, which is really hard for us It's really hard for me. Uh, We are a people who like to have all the right answers. Uh, We we carry these little computers in our pockets each and every moment of the day. Uh, And if we don't know something, we can Google it. Uh, We love to to bring up Wikipedia and prove ourselves right uh, at at every turn. Uh, Our modern sensibilities don't appreciate mystery. There is nothing that we can't know. Uh, And so we pride ourselves on knowing everything, about everything. But the world is most certainly mysterious. God is most certainly mysterious. Jesus is most certainly mysterious. And I would argue that a huge part of following Christ is learning to embrace mystery as a blessing and not a curse. I think our modern sensibilities see not knowing things, having uncertainty in our life as being a curse, And I think scripture argues that it's actually quite a blessing. Uh, Even though we don't like mystery, we live in mystery all the time. Uh, I was was doing a little uh, research about things that are mysterious to me. Did you know... uh, did you know that scientists have found electrons that exist within the nucleus of an atom? They've found electrons that have done quantum leap, that have that they can be in one place in one moment and another place in another moment without having traveled the distance between the two? Isn't that weird? Uh, did you know that uh, scientists are pretty sure that at, like every couple hundred thousand years, the poles uh, of our globe switch? So like if you were around with a compass like 800,000 years ago, north would point to Antarctica? Isn't that kind of weird? Uh, did you know that biologists have found, uh, they've found a mushroom in Oregon that was over 2,000 acres big? They actually call it the humongous fungus, which I think is, <laughs> I think is awesome. Uh, but how crazy, how crazy is that? Uh, our life, our world is mysterious. There's, there's fun, mysterious things about it. Uh, even simple mysteries uh, exist all around us that we kind of take for granted. T- take gravity. I am not a scientist. I have no idea how gravity works. No concept uh, of why gra- gravity works, of how gravity works. Some of you maybe understand that. I do not. But despite the, mis- the mysterious nature of gravity, I don't walk around day by day with, with a-, a paralyzing fear that I might float off into space. Right? I kind of just live and bask in the mystery. Like, 
I don't understand it, but it's not bothering me. Or, or take, take something like uh, how a bridge is built. Some of you know how bridges are built. You could tell me uh, why they're as strong as they are. I don't have a physics mind. I have no idea. I think you take popsicle sticks and you glue them together. That's all I know about the physics of bridge building. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea. And yet, almost every day, uh, I drive across a bridge. I don't have a paralyzing fear of driving across the I-90 overpass. I just kind of do it, even though it's mysterious, and I probably should have paralyzing fear about it crashing down and me dying. I don't. I kind of just live in the mystery. Uh, And there are spiritual or biblical mysteries that we live in as well that we have no idea about, and yet we kind of just take them as truth. Uh, I have no idea how the creation worked. I have no idea how God formed all of this and put it all together and made it all work and and made it all harmonious. Uh, No idea, but I I know he did it. Uh, I have no idea how the flood worked. No concept. I don't know how the water came out and up and and where it all went at the end of the 40 days. No idea. Uh, I I just kind of live in the mystery. How how does a man get swallowed by a whale and live for three days? No idea. How does Jesus walk around healing people? No idea. How does the resurrection work? How does a man go into a tomb and then come out three days later? No idea. I have no idea how that happened. And yet I'm, I'm living as if it's true. Uh, because it is. Or there's, there's theological mysteries. I don't know about the Trinity. I don't know about how Jesus is, is completely God and completely human at the same time simultaneously. I don't know. I don't know how the end times are going to work or when Jesus is coming back. I have no idea what heaven's going to look like or what hell's going to look like. Uh, we just kind of exist in these mysteries. The world is a great mystery. The natural world and the super, supernatural world. And if anyone says that they don't find things to be confusing or mysterious, if anyone walks around thinking that they know exactly what the Bible has to say about everything, that they are certain about how to read the Bible and what it means, then they are either lying or, or they are delusional. Because Scripture is a mystery. God is a mystery. Uh, but people think this way all the time. Uh, I've known pastors like that, and, and I was kind of like that too at one point, still am sometimes, uh, still thinking I know everything and have all the answers, but I've slowly begun to embrace the mysterious, ununderstandable nature of God and Jesus and faith, and that transformation process has been lots of things. It's been beautiful and awful, liberating and paralyzing, fun and scary, exhilarating and exhausting, enlightening and confusing. Uh, Because not knowing is really scary. And yet, uh, once we move into that place where uncertainty is okay, uh, it, it's, it's been a beautiful place to land. Letting go of my need to control everything and know everything and have no doubt and ask no hard questions, letting go of that way of living has been so freeing and has led me into a deeper love of God and a deeper desire to live like Jesus than I ever could have imagined. It's been fantastic. Okay, so that was a really, really long introduction. Sorry. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's jump in. I want to spend a few moments talking about the importance of mystery. I think I, think I need to start by talking about the theology of mystery uh, for, for just a couple minutes. Uh, I, I think that the way 
we think about mystery theologically has, mass, has a massive effect on how we live. The way that we think about mystery affects the way that we live in the world. You could say, kind of theologically, theology affects missiology. It affects the way we think about mission. Theology affects mission, or theology affects ecclesiology, the study of church. Theology affects the way that we do church. So I want to talk about kind of the theology of mystery for a few minutes, and then I want to end with a a few kind of practical implications for what that means for us uh, when we embrace the mystery of God. All right. So Paul tells us to proclaim the mystery of Christ. What the heck does that mean? And and I'm not totally sure. So I'm not going to say a whole lot. Uh, I can't make too many claims here because it's a mystery. Who knows? Uh, At a certain point, I think theologians and pastors just have to throw up their hands and say, I'm not sure, because we don't don't know uh, who Christ is and what Christ did and what Christ calls us to is mysterious. But a a few words come to mind, two words uh, come to mind when I think about mystery. The first is the word overwhelming. When I think about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God, who Christ is, uh, who, what he has done for us, and how he continues to work in, in, in our lives, the first word that comes to mind is overwhelming. I think that when we get a glimpse of God, a glimpse of Jesus, it's almost too good to fully grasp. I, I, I think it catches us up. Uh, catches us off guard. Who Jesus was and what Jesus did and how Jesus continues to work in our lives and guide us each and every day, it's simply overwhelming. It it floods our senses with its unbelievability and simply overwhelms us. It's why we take time for silence because I'm speechless. I'm overwhelmed in this moment where our only response to this beautiful mystery is worship. Uh, we, we simply throw our hands up and say, God, you are good. Thank you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61 kind of captures this, where, where Isaiah says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Uh, Isaiah talks about the, the mystery of Christ in terms of a wedding where a bride or a groom might just be so overwhelmed in the moment that they might just find themselves in tears. They, they find themselves emotional and can't even say, why? I don't even know why I'm crying in this moment, and yet it's just so beautiful and it's so good, and I'm so glad to have my family here. I'm so glad to be marrying this person for the rest of my life that I'm just kind of caught up and I'm just kind of overwhelmed, and, and I don't know why. That is the nature of the mystery of Christ. We get caught up in a moment and we might be crying happy tears and we don't even know why. It's just too good, it's just too beautiful, uh, and we're, we're just overwhelmed. Jesus' goodness and love and sacrifice, even the mystery of who he was and is, is just simply too much to even take in. And it overwhelms us. The mystery of Christ catches us off guard and is so grandiose in its greatness that we can't even put proper words to what we are experiencing or what we know of God. There's a, there's a funny line in the transform, uh, transfiguration story. 
Uh, in, in Mark chapter 9, most of you probably know the story. Jesus takes three of his closest friends. They go up on a mountain, and, and uh, they have this kind of spiritual moment, right? And Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are all there. And, and uh, the disciples, they get some sort of glimpse of Christ's glory beyond what they've ever experienced so far in his ministry. And it kind of catches them off, off guard. And Peter says a funny line, like Peter usually does. He, he, uh, he says, uh, we should build some shelters so you can live up here. Uh, which doesn't really make sense, and I don't know why Peter says that. And, and I think Mark gets that that doesn't make sense. Mark, the, the writer of the, the book, because the next line right after that is a parenthetical statement in the text. It's, it's parentheses. Like he's been, he's been talking about this story, he's been telling this story, and then at a certain point, like House of Cards style, he like turns to the camera and has this like parenthetical statement. And, and what it says there, it's Mark 9, 6, he says, in parentheses, he, and he's talking about Peter, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Uh, that, that's, the mis- that's the overwhelming nature of the mystery of Christ. Peter's caught up in a moment that it's, that's so good, so glorious, so kind of beyond his comprehension that he's saying stupid things that don't make sense, and yet it's worship, because he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know what to say, and he's trying to articulate something good in this moment, and what he's saying makes no sense. Uh, Jesus is so good and so awe-inspiring and so overwhelming that often we can't even put coherent words together about what we are, we are feeling and experiencing in, in those moments of goodness. So, uh, the mystery of Christ is overwhelming. Second word that comes to mind is that the mystery of Christ is confounding. Is confounding. The mystery of God does not make sense. Uh, the myst- who Christ is, who God is, it simply doesn't even make sense. It, it, uh, it overwhelms us, but it also kind of, it's kind of confusing. It's kind of confounding in the best sense of the word. The mystery of God is beyond our earthly capacity to even understand. I think that's why in the, in the burning bush scene in the book of Exodus, when Moses is going to be sent back to Pharaoh, and he says, uh, who should I say that you are? God replies by saying, I am. Right? What, what the heck does that mean? Well, I don't know. But there's no... There's no words. What would he have said that would have captured the essence of who God is? There's nothing. It's so confounding. It's so beyond uh, our human capacity to understand that he just says, tell him, tell him I am. Uh, there's this famous prayer by, by the writer Meister Eckhart. And he, uh, he prays this famous prayer, uh, God rid me of God. Have you heard this prayer before? God, rid me of God. And what he means is that any time, he felt like any time he tried to capture the essence of who God was, he was falling short so far. Whatever he thought God was like, God was immeasurably more distant, more beyond, more great than anything he could have ever imagined. So all he could pray is, God, rid me of whatever ideas I have of you, because any ideas I have of you are way beyond that, infinitely greater, 
infinitely more grand than any of that. So rid me of my idea that I can capture the essence of who you are. Uh, I got to get rid of that because you're way beyond. You're way better than that. God, rid me of God. Who Christ is, who God is, confounds us with its goodness, with its good, unexplainable mystery. Right, now, I think there's a, there's a couple of practical implications here for us. If we truly understand that God is a mystery that I can't understand, if we've embraced that, if we've lived into that, and we've put beyond our, our, ourselves this desire to know everything, I've got to have all my ducks in a row. I have to know exactly what I think about God. If we can actually embrace the mystery, then I think that there's some really fun, practical implications of that for us. Uh, the fact that uh, when we can admit that, I think it, it does something within us. It changes us. It transforms us into something different. So a few thoughts. First thing that I think that does. If we can embrace the mystery of God and put beyond uh, us the, the desire to know everything, I think that allows us to loosen up our grip on certainty. Again, we live in this world where we have to know everything. And we cling so tightly to knowing everything, to being certain, to never having any doubt, uh, to to never having any questions unanswered. We cling so tightly to that that we clench our fists up with certainty. Uh, and, And I think if we can embrace the mystery of Christ, it allows us to kind of loosen our grip up on everything, which is a good thing. I think it makes us more fun at parties. I think it makes us more enjoyable as a person. If we can kind of loosen up our grip on always being right, on always being certain about everything, embracing the mystery of Christ allows us to do so, to live our lives with, with open hands instead of clenched fists, to start living as if maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of wrongness in my rightness and a little bit of rightness in your wrongness. I still think I'm right. I still kind of walk the world thinking that I know most of the answers. But can I just loosen my grip on that, that posture just a little bit and just loosen up? Uh, just not be as militant about being right and making sure that everyone knows that. Which ultimately, if we do that, if we kind of loosen up, we loosen our grip and walk the world with an, with an open posture, an open-handed posture toward the world, I think what that ultimately does is makes us more like Jesus. I think it turns us into people of grace, people of hospitality, people of love. Jesus was a total enigma that could never be pinned down, pigeonholed or predicted. People never knew what he was going to do, never knew who he was going to interact with. He was kind of a loose cannon in the best sort of way. Uh, He's constantly upsetting the apple cart with an upside-down life of welcoming the stranger, forgiving the condemned, and loving the despised. He was a mystery, and his ministry reflected that. No one knew what was coming next because he was uh, initiating for us a brand new way uh, of living. So if we can come to understand that Jesus is ultimately ununderstandable, that he is a mystery, and that his ministry reflects that, uh, and stop always trying to be right and have all the answers, I think that we will start to actually live the mysterious life of Jesus, a life of hospitality and forgiveness and love. We will take on the same sort of open-handed posture toward the world that Jesus so beautifully displayed.
if we could admit that we don't have all the answers, we can really start to cut people some slack. We can be more kind and generous and hospitable and ultimately more loving, which is what Jesus was like. I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this, uh, I was remembering a a story, a a lunch appointment that I had a a few months ago. And uh, maybe I've told a few of you about this, but I don't think I've preached about it yet. Uh, Sorry if I have. But uh, uh, it was this really interesting uh, uh, lunch appointment that I had. And uh, I I was sitting down to lunch with with two other fellow pastors. And uh, and one of them uh, had this really humble moment. And uh, I, I, I just... I, I thought it was really great, and he asked this great question in this moment of humility, where he was kind of kind of new to being a pastor, and uh, he uh, he said he had this this man in his church uh, who uh, was really struggling because his father was probably about to die, and uh, and and this man this man's father he didn't really know about kind of what was going to happen to him after after death. It was unsure. He didn't really know like, if he had a relationship with Christ. So he was kind of struggling with this. What, what's what's going to happen to my dad? And, uh, and so he went to his pastor, and he, and he asked them these kind of tough questions. What, what's going to happen? And, uh, and his pastor, he said some things, but he didn't really know if he had said the right things or, or not. And so he brought this, this question to us, these other two pastors, and he basically said, what would have you have done? What, what would you have said in this moment? And, and I didn't really know. How do, how do you know what to say in that moment? That's a really hard question. Where's my dad going when he dies? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Heck if I know not my decision to make. But it's, it's a really pastoral question. And so I, I responded in a couple ways. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I said two things. Uh, I said, well, I, I maybe would have asked him a question. I would have started by asking him the question, uh, does Jesus love your dad right now? And he would have responded by saying, yes, absolutely. Absolutely he loves my dad. And then I would have, I would have followed up by saying, do, do you think he's going to love your dad the day after he passes away? Uh, and, and I think the man would have had to have said, yeah, absolutely, Jesus will love my dad. And that doesn't solve any kind of big theological questions, but that wasn't the point, right? The point was about comfort and encouragement. So I would have reminded this person in my church, if this were, were my story, that Jesus really loves them. And I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but I can, I can uh, say with all certainty that Jesus loves your dad right now and he's going to love him the day after he passes away. And, and, and I pray deeply that they'll be together in paradise forever. And the other thing that I said to him uh, was this, this man's dad had been really struggling with pain, like awful, crippling, debilitating kind of pain. Uh, he was essentially living in hell. And so what I said to him was, your dad's kind of already in hell, right? He's suffering really, really badly. And, and I, I think in that moment, he's not going to be suffering anymore. And that's maybe not theologically accurate. I don't know. But, but I think it's the right sort of comforting thing to say. And this other pastor at the table at lunch that day, uh, he suddenly chimed in with all of these kind of theological responses about how, well, actually, uh, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't believe in Jesus and he didn't ever say the Jesus prayer, then, then I don't know, he's probably going to be spending eternity in hell. And he kind of went on, like, well, geez, you're going to say to this guy who's struggling with his dad, like, well, I guess your dad's probably going to spend 
eternity and eternal conscious torment. Like, it doesn't seem like the most, uh, most pastoral thing to say in that moment. I, I think, I think he, had, he hadn't embraced the mystery. This other pastor, I, I, don't think, th- I don't think he had got it that, like, we don't know all the answers. And, and, and we don't ha- he was somebody who wanted to have all the answers, and he wanted to say all of the right things. And even if he was right about what he was saying theologically, he, wasn't, he, he was clenched fist about, fisted about it, and he wasn't allowing the mystery of Christ to seep into his pastoral conversations uh, with, with his church. Uh, so... I think if we can embrace the mystery of Christ, it will affect the kind of conversations that we have with, with each other. It will affect the way that we treat one another. Uh, it will drastically, drastically affect the way that we engage with others in really, really positive ways. Uh, you don't have all the answers, and I don't have all the answers. You can't explain everything. I can't explain everything. You aren't always right. Uh, life is a mystery. God is a mystery. Jesus is a mystery. And that is okay. Uncertainty is okay. I think. Perhaps. Uh, and, and the sooner we admit that and are okay with that, the sooner we'll start cutting ourselves some slack and other people some slack. We'll start to look more like Jesus. Our generosity will skyrocket. Because we won't just assume that we know why that person is begging beside the road. We will want to, uh, we'll want to ask them. Because we'll assume that that person is a beautiful mystery. And there is a story behind why they're sitting there in that place. Our hospitality will skyrocket. Because we'll want to really connect with this mysterious and wonderful child of God that is sitting in front of me. Our forgiveness will skyrocket. And our judgment will disappear because we'll be so overwhelmed and confounded by God's forgiveness of us that we won't be able to stop spreading that forgiveness to others and our love will skyrocket because of a God as overwhelming and confounding and transcendent and mysteriously good as ours would actually love us enough to send his one and only son to save the world then I want in on that new radical way of love I want that if this kind of mysterious God would love us so much to send his son, then I want in on that love. I want to be that kind of person. So let's embrace the mystery of Christ for the blessing it is, because uncertainty is okay, I think. Let's pray. God, help us to be overwhelmed, to be okay with being overwhelmed and confounded by how great you are. You are mysterious, and that is good. Uh, Help us to embrace that and to be okay with uncertainty, to be okay with not knowing all the answers, to actually see that as a blessing that sends us out into the world with an open-handed posture uh, to love people, to be forgiving to people, to be generous and hospitable to people. Help Help us to embrace mystery so that we can embrace our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Okay, a couple quick announcements.